Hello and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to a brand new episode of Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill podcast. I'm your host, Corey Cohen, and first, we're going to be talking about all things pit football in just a moment. First, I've got some exciting news to share. Basically, this podcast is joining the SB Nation family of podcasts. Now, it doesn't really change much. As you know, Cardiac Hill is a member of SB Nation. It's the the pit site of SB Nation. And the same way that the websites all sort of work together in a way and are part of one collective SB Nation network, that's what they're doing with podcasts. And so, now Unscripted is part of the SB Nation uh, network of podcasts. And again, that's not really going to change anything for all you listeners. It is exciting. Uh, we the, It's going to give us some more outreach and uh, it's going to expand our base, hopefully. But in terms of the podcast, things are going to stay the same, which is uh, which is what we want. A couple things. If you are subscribed to the podcast on Apple or Google from before, uh, you should still be subscribed. If you are not, We'd absolutely love for you to subscribe now. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, on Google Play, on now we're going to be everywhere. So you can also find us now on Spotify. You can find us on Stitcher. Anywhere where you get your podcasts will be there. So we essentially moved episodes, uh, moved some of the old episodes. All these new episodes are going to be on this. Again, if you're already subscribed to those, you'll be good. But we moved from SoundCloud and uh, so basically, we'll be everywhere you get your podcast. Please subscribe. Please give us a five-star review wherever uh, you listen to your podcast because that helps. Uh, if you subscribe or wherever, you can download the episode and then you can listen to it on the go, in the car, on the train, whatever you're doing. Uh, we'd, we'd love for you to subscribe and download the episodes. Then you can listen to them uh, whenever uh, you get the chance and wherever you are. So that's the gist of it. Again, not much is going to change. Uh, but we will be part of uh, of this network, essentially, from SB Nation. If you're not subscribed to the podcast, you can search uh, for Cardiac Hill. That'll be the e- easiest way because there are a lot of unscripted uh, ones out there. But the, the channel will be Cardiac Hill. So if you just search for Cardiac Hill, should be the first thing that pops up. You'll see the Cardiac Hill logo. Please subscribe to that. And, uh, yeah, we're really excited for this this new direction, essentially. Uh, again, pretty much everything's going to be going the same still through Cardiac Hill. We're still going to post all the episodes on Cardiac Hill. So if you uh, just read the, the website religiously and you just see the episode when that pops up or you follow us on Twitter on Cardiac Hill and then you just click on the link when that comes up, by all means, you can keep doing that. We're still going to be doing that still through Cardiac Hill. Uh, but we will have uh, a little bit of an expanded reach, which is exciting. So with all that being said, let's talk about pit football. First of all, pit football, they got the win. They played university, or excuse me, Ohio University. I was going to say University of Ohio. Ohio uh, University, not the Ohio State University. It was the Bobcats. And the Panthers got the win. 20 to 10 was the final score. So What we're going to be doing for a bulk of this episode is talking about essentially what that means. What can we take away from what we just saw this past weekend? So first of all, we're going to start with the offense and Kenny Pickett. You take a look at the stats. Kenny Pickett, 26 for 37. He had 321 yards. That's uh, 8.7 yards per throw. One touchdown, no interceptions. Stat sheet looks good. And there were a lot of moments when Kenny Pickett looked good and he looked promising. 
there were also some moments when it seemed to struggle a little bit. And those are the moments that you worry about. Because again, the question is, what do you take away from this? And that's what we're all essentially trying to figure out, is how much of this is something that we should really pay attention to, and then how much of it you can just sort of brush off because uh, of maybe of the team they're playing or things like that. So with Kenny Pickett, the main takeaway seems to be that when you when he is is gets a nice play call and things work out and he's able to to throw to his first option, his first read, things go very well. They ran a slant route that worked uh, exceptionally well. They they had a lot of good plays where he got rid of it under 2 seconds. The problem for Kenny Pickett is when he had a little bit more time, when the play didn't quite develop, when it didn't work out the way he was expecting it to, and then he had to improvise. And obviously that's one of the the key things that you look for in a quarterback, and that's the part where he still seemed to struggle, even against Ohio. And so that's certainly the concern. If his first option is not there, and the receivers are covered, what's he do? I think sometimes he's got to be a little bit better at finding the check down and doing that quickly before thing before the, the check down gets covered. And a lot of times he's going to have to run. And I know it's a little bit scary and you don't want him to get injured, but Kenny Pickett proved himself as a good runner. In fact, his first game, the one that where he burst onto the scene against number two Miami and they got the win, that was a lot of Kenny Pickett running. He did a great job of that game. And that's something that is going to be crucial to his ability as a quarterback is that he can be a runner as well. Now, this is not Lamar Jackson. This is not Michael Vick. This is not, you know, a a run first quarterback. This isn't Tebow, but that certainly needs to be the option when the play breaks down. So if he looks around and he doesn't have any receivers, instead of freezing, he's going to have to make that decision instantly to run. A lot of times he'll make the decision to scramble and sort of run outside and think about running. And a lot of times he doesn't. And that can get him into trouble because sometimes he'll run a little bit longer and then maybe decide to throw, but he's past the line of scrimmage. Other times he will run, but by that point, but he committed to it too late and he'll only get maybe a yard or two. And then other times nothing comes of it and he just has to throw, has to throw it away. For Kenny Pickett to really succeed at the level that Pitt needs him to succeed, both this year and next year, he's going to have to become a little bit more committed when the play breaks down to just run to just go after it. And that hasn't been the case yet. He is still a little bit hesitant when it comes to that. And it seems certainly last year the case was for him not to run. And really, he didn't even have the ability to run last year because the offensive line gave him zero time. But now, you make your reads, you try to to go for your first option, maybe the, the check down. But if that falls through and there's an opening and there's a big gap where he could get maybe 10 yards, 8, 10, even 15 yards. He's just got to be more comfortable making that decision to just go for it. Go all-out sprint, either get out of bounds or slide. You don't have to take a hit, but whatever he does, get those yards. So if you're not finding an open receiver, he's got to do that. Another part of this game was the offensive line. Again, key to the passing game. And the offensive line is still struggling. And that's certainly concerning because that was the case last year. And you hoped with between a new offensive coordinator, between the team maybe gelling a little bit more on the line, the players uh, having some more experience, you hoped that that was going to improve. So far, it hasn't. The offensive line 
has looked pretty weak. And again, based on what we were just saying with Kenny Pickett and his decision-making, it's not great. If he doesn't have time, then he so far he hasn't been excellent when it comes to making those decisions quickly. And because of that, you're not really going to have him survive with a poor offensive line. And it hasn't been a great offensive line so far. So that part is going to have to improve. Now, it seemed like there was certainly an emphasis on running because you talk about the offensive line with passing and running. Last year, the the offensive line was pretty good at run protection, as evidenced by Darren Hall and Quadriolison both having monster years. It was the pass protection that was weak. What's interesting this year is the system, not just the actual play calling, play to play, but it seems like the strategy, the system, is to throw more than run. I don't know how smart that is. Now, I'm not there. I don't know. You always defer to the coaches to some extent. But from what we've seen of the running backs, what we've seen of the passing game, and just the recent history, not even the long history, the recent history of pit football, this is RBU. This is running back university. This is the the school that went from... Uh, you know, LaShawn McCoy and some some great running backs to more recently Ray Graham to James Conner to last year I mentioned Olison and Hall. And now you've got a handful of very talented and young running backs. You've got AJ Davis, you've got Todd Sibley. On top of that, Vincent Davis had a good game uh, at the tailback position, and then Valique Carter can do a lot for you. So you've got four legitimate running backs there. And they did not use them much. AJ, AJ Davis had the most carries with 13. He averaged 6.8 carry, uh, 6.8 yards per carry. Vincent Davis had 12 carries, averaging 4.2 yards per carry. Valik Carter with six carries, and then Todd Sibley with just three. And he had a very quiet day. But you ha- you clearly have a lot of talent there. And yet you add up those four guys, and that got them to 34 runs, uh, run attempts. When you add up all the passing, that Kenny, all the throws of Kenny Pickett, he threw 37 times. And it's always a bit odd when your team passes more than runs. And by the way, towards the end of the game, that number isn't even quite representative of the game. Because towards the end, to kill the clock, they were up 20 to 10. They were draining the clock and, and running the ball a lot. So for much of that game, they were passing significantly more than they were running. And that's... Again, questionable. It seems, even though Pickett is more experienced than the running back core, it seems like you've got a lot of talent there from the running backs. So far, they've looked good. Just go with them. Whereas Pickett still sort of trying to get into rhythm and the offensive line still trying to to get better and, and trying to improve. So it is tough to say. Again, Mark Whipple, he's had a good game so far. But a good season so far. But you do question why they're passing much more than they're running when this has been a program whose bread and butter has been on the running game and whose passing game so far this year, it's early, has not looked great. Again, Kenny Pickett, he had a good day on Saturday, but still a couple weaknesses, and that's fine. He can still be a quarterback with those a good quarterback with those weaknesses and all that. But I don't know if this is a team best suited to be a pass-first offense as opposed to run-first. Kenny Pickett had a good day. He threw for more yards in the first half than he did 
in 13 of the 14 pit games all last year. That's the whole game. So when you think about the entire season, all but one game, he threw for fewer yards in those total games than he did in one half on Saturday against Ohio. So they're trusting him. Mark Whipple is is putting the ball in Kenny Pickett's hands, and in a way, you do want to see that. What was frustrating last year was Sean Watson not giving Kenny Pickett any chances. Maybe he sinks, maybe he swims. But with a junior quarterback who's supposed to be the future, you want to see a team that that trusts the quarterback. So I like that. Again, all that being said, I don't know if you pass more than you run with this team. But moving a little bit closer from just the broader scale of runs or passes or whatever, talking about specific play calls, Mark Whipple, first-year offensive coordinator, he's looked good. There have been some very good play calls, and they've been creative. And again, he seems to be playing to Kenny Pickett's strength in the play calls themselves. A lot of quick releases, a lot of designs where you get rid of the ball Almost immediately, you get it to a wide receiver and let him do his thing. Maurice French had a huge game on Saturday against Ohio. One of his biggest plays was just a a very quick pass, essentially a screen pass, and then he took off. He ended up having 10 receptions, 138 yards. That's nearly 14 yards per catch, and he had a touchdown. And, of course, the 74-yard play that he had. And things like that. Maurice French, very talented player. It makes sense to just get in the ball in short passes and let him try to expand the field and see what he can do. It makes sense, and yet the previous offensive coordinator did not do it. In this case, it seems like Mark Whipple knows what his strengths are. They know with Kenny Pickett, it's getting rid of the ball early. He knows with his wide receivers, he's got a lot of talent, and they can do a lot of fun things on the field. So if you just get them the ball like they did to Maurice French this can be a dangerous offense. So in terms of the actual play calling, I think that's been excellent so far. Still a lot of season to go. We'll see about Mark Whipple. But so far, I think in terms of the actual specific play calls, I think he's done a a great job. In terms of overall strategy, passing more than running, we'll see. Maybe that was just this one game. Ohio, we'll see that going forward. But in the small sample size, we've got two games of actual specific play calls, it really seems like Whipple knows exactly what he's doing, and he is playing to his team's strength. One more thing about that game is the defense. The defense looked legit. This was a defense that right now, they're ranked 24th in the nation in total defense, and that should be about where they're going to be and where you'd want them to be under Pat Narduzzi at this point in his tenure. Somewhere between probably 15 at best, 40 at worst. And it might take a hit the next couple games because they're playing two teams with great offenses in Penn State and UCF. But this defense looks like everyone thought a Pat Pat Narduzzi defense would look like. You take a look at the secondary. They had another great day on Saturday. You've got Paris Ford, again, looking legit. You've got DeMar Hamlin, who, again, is stepping up. You've got Damari Mathis, who has actually come up with quite a few really good plays. Then you talk about in the trenches, Jalen Twyman. We we all know Rashad Weaver, supposed to be the leader of that defensive line. Jalen Twyman has taken a step up in the absence of Weaver with his season-ending injury. He had three tackles for loss on Saturday. A phenomenal game for Jalen Twyman down there. The linebackers have looked good. This is the type of defense that Pat Narduzzi should have. 
and it certainly looks like he's got it. We saw a lot of it last year. It looks like that is continuing, and that's a bright spot for Pitt, that whenever you figure the offense out, the defense is going to be there, and the defense is going to keep you in games. Now, we'll see where that goes. Last year's defense was very good. They were blown out a couple times. Against Penn State, it looked ugly. They had a lot of points scored against them against UCF. So we'll see coming up this weekend. But the defense looks legit. So one more thing before we wrap this up is how good is Ohio actually? How much is this? Well, they were playing a weak opponent. It's a smaller team, smaller school, and we shouldn't take too much from this. Well, that is true to some extent, and I talked about on the podcast last week that just how you can't overreact to one game against Virginia, you can't overreact to one game versus Ohio, even though it looks a little bit better. That said, Ohio, they're a pretty good team. They're in the MAC. They were predicted to win the MAC. So this is not an FCS team. This isn't beating Youngstown State. This is beating a pretty good team in a pretty good conference. And winning by 10, that's solid. I think the final line was at four. So Pitt was minus four. And they they covered easily. They could have scored had things kept going. They just milked the clock towards the end. And things did slow down, and there is concern that they seem to look a whole heck of a lot better in the second quarter than they do in the other quarters, because so far now they've scored four touchdowns for 28 points in the second quarter. They've scored just two field goals for six points in the first, third, and fourth combined quarters. So that's a concern, and you've got to hope that Pitt is able to figure things out, not start sluggishly in the first, not come out sluggishly after halftime in the third, and if they have to still play in the fourth, and again, Ohio was a little bit different because they started to pump the brakes a bit, but you hope that they can do it in the fourth. But for now, okay, they got the win, that's what matters. But against Ohio, what can you take? Ohio's a pretty good team. That does not mean to overreact, but a win is a win is a win. You saw Michigan nearly lose to Army this past weekend. Took him into overtime. You see teams crumble constantly with some weaker opponents. And Ohio, a team picked to win the MAC, never really got in the game with the Panthers. And if you're a Pitt fan, that's a good thing. You take that as a win, you're happy about it. And so because of that, you don't overreact, but there are certainly positives that you take from this game. You do not just brush it off and say, well, of course they're supposed to beat Ohio. No, this was a good win, and it was their first of the season, and that it's always going to help a football team and try to get things going. We'll see if it's carried forward, but we'll talk about all that in just a moment after a quick word from our new sponsor. Okay, we are back. In just a moment, we'll talk about the upcoming Penn State game. First, quick note on the 11 a.m. kickoff. Not a fan. Uh, I did not go to the game. I live on the, the eastern side of the state, and I was just at the game last week, so I wasn't going to make the trip back-to-back weeks. And especially, an 11 a.m. kickoff is tough. Now, I know some people, especially people with kids who get up early, they like it because, oh, you've got the rest of your day to do stuff. I'm not a fan. I... I'm personally a night owl. I don't wake up early unless I absolutely have to, especially, you know, on the weekends. On this particular weekend, I slept till 11. So I just woke up in time for the game to start. 
And certainly if I were in Pittsburgh and going to the game, I would not be a fan because, of course, part of the culture with football is tailgating and getting up early and getting to the game early to see the band. And that you can't really do that when there's an 11 a.m. kickoff, unless you're an early morning person. But really, you're pretty much just waking up and going to the game. And for that reason, not at all a fan of the 11 a.m. kickoff. Uh, all that said, I think what Pitt was able to do with the 11 a.m. kickoff was very good, and also the week before, because I didn't talk about it on last week's podcast, which is the decisions that Heather Like has made since she became the athletic director have been excellent so far. Talking about switching the uniforms and the color scheme and all that looks great. Looks absolutely stellar. The colors pop. The yellow actually matches the seats of Heinz Field, which is a, a nice sign. Uh, the team just looks really good. They Now when the, the team comes out to Thunderstruck, they've got the lights sort of going on and off in the stadium for the Virginia game at night. That was really cool. They moved the student section over from the corner and sort of across an area to now they are behind the entire end zone. So... When a team is driving, when the opposing team is driving in that direction, you don't just hear the students yelling and screaming. You see them going nuts, and you see them making noise. And that's a really smart thing. Also, on top of that, you then see the students a bit more on TV because, of course, the camera angle. If you're in the corner, you don't see a lot of them. When they're across that uh, the baseline, you're going to see them all when the, the camera's pointed in that direction. And so that was a smart decision. The atmosphere last week was Ribfest. This week was uh, was Band and Cheer and, and Band and Cheer Day. And I know that was a big deal for a lot of high schoolers. They've done a great job in terms of the atmosphere parts. And there was a good uh, show, uh, you know, a show of fans on this Saturday for an 11 a.m. game. And the week before, I mentioned it briefly, but 47,000 and change. Uh, against anybody, if you're a college team in a major pro sports city, that's a, that's a very good showing when it's not a, a big rivalry game and you're not having too many opposing fans there. So Pitt is doing all things right, and especially I've got to give credit to the Panther Pitt. They've done an excellent job getting students out there. They don't care. I know everyone talks. They, they complain and they whine about having an on-campus stadium. The people that that would be most for would be students. Because if you're someone like me or you and you don't live in Oakland, you're still going to have to drive to wherever the stadium is, whether that's in Oakland or that's in the North Shore. And so for us, if anything, it's better being at the North Shore because there's parking. And in Oakland, there is zero parking. So really, the only people it's benefiting are people who live in Oakland, who could walk to the game, who now have to take a shuttle. Well, those people are the students, and they're showing up better than anybody. So because of that, I think it's it's pretty evident Pitt does not need an on-campus stadium. The students are showing up better than any other section of fans. They're making noise. They're staying for most of the game. As long as Pitt's in it, they are staying. And that's really what you're looking for, is the students who, again, they'd be the ones who would benefit most from an on-campus stadium. They don't care. They're happy to take the shuttle and get there early and get get great seats and scream their heads off the entire time and stay for, again, as long, if not longer than anybody else. And so they've done a phenomenal job. The Panther Pit, I know it was always, when I was a student, it was always the Oakland Zoo. They were the, the true fan section and the Panther Pit. Really, when I was a student, it's when it got started. Originally, it was just the student section. And then they got a name and they got t-shirts and all that, and they've really blossomed into a really cool organization and, uh, and fan section for the Pitt Panthers. So they've done an excellent job when it comes to all that. The atmosphere, I know the the band, 
Uh, they've got Chrissy Shannon, the first female drum major in pit band history. And I know most college bands have never had a female drum major. So it's not like, oh, well, what took them so long? I mean, yes, but also it's taken everyone so long. And uh, Pitt is one of the the earlier programs to have a female drum major, which is awesome. Good to see Pitt on the, the forefront of this as opposed to a lot of other bands where it's going to take even longer, unfortunately. But Chrissy Shannon, from what I've seen of her, doing a phenomenal job as the drum major. And uh, it's just a really exciting time when you talk about all the things around Pitt football and and what Heather like and the athletic department and all that, what they've been able to do with it. The band, cheer, dance, the atmosphere, things like that. They've done an excellent job when it comes to that. So moving forward, we'll keep an eye on it. We'll keep an eye on on the atmosphere, on the crowds, on the attendance, of course. And and I'm sure that's going to come up, especially after a loss, because everyone then just spends the week talking about other stuff. Pitt lost to Virginia. Everyone talked about a stadium, and they talked about Sweet Caroline. Pitt beats Ohio. No one talks about that stuff. It's a good week. But when Pitt loses, you talk about the loss for a day or two, and then people get sick of talking about the game, and they talk about other stuff. So at some point, we're going to probably hit talk about that other stuff because it's going to come up. And it's going to be silly, and we're going to respond to it. But for now, we don't have to. Uh, Now, looking at next week, Penn State. This is the big rivalry week. It's probably the last time it's going to happen for years and years. Because, by all accounts, Penn State is afraid to play Pitt. That's just what it is. Now, that's not even being biased. Like That's just the case. Now, you can see from Penn State's perspective why that is the case when you've got one program that is doing better than the other, which for the past few years has been the case. Maybe not the case for a little bit. They seem to be about on equal footing. But for the past couple of years, without a doubt, Penn State has been doing better as a program on the field. And of course, the one year they played, the the, the big reunion of it all, Pitt beat Penn State. That loss essentially knocked them out of the college football playoff. Then the next year... Pitt lost to Penn State, but Pitt was so bad that year that the win didn't actually give Penn State any credit, because then you look at their non-conference schedule and you say, who did you beat? And you can't really count Pitt in that group, because Pitt wasn't really that good uh, that season. And then last year, uh, Pitt just got crushed, but again, it didn't really matter for Penn State. They didn't have their best season. So... Without a doubt, Penn State is afraid to play Pitt. And again, that's that's not even being subjective. That's just the case because they feel, well, they're the bigger program and they're expected to win. So if they win, okay, they don't really get anything out of it. They don't enhance their, their resume, at least not the season when it really mattered, when Pitt struggled. Now, if Pitt's better, then it would enhance their resume. But that, hadn't, that wasn't the case that year and uh, Pitt hasn't been ranked for quite some time. And then if Penn State loses, well, then you lost to a team that you should have beaten, and that's a big black mark, and you're going to be left out of the college football playoff. So because of that, Penn State afraid to play Pitt, and it's upsetting because it's a great rivalry. There is real animosity between those sides, and Pitt fans, I know, absolutely feel it. Penn State fans won't want to admit to it, but it's certainly there. There is true animosity there. It stinks that the rivalry won't continue But until Sandy Barber and the Penn State Athletic Department decides that it's actually worth it to get the fans really excited about something and to play a rival and to do something that a lot of people care about as opposed to just a cheap win against a team that they don't particularly care about, until that happens, we're not going to see this for a while. We know Pitt wants to play this game. We know Heather Like is trying to schedule this game and Scott Barnes before, and it just has not gotten done. 
it's just going to come down to Penn State not being afraid to play Pitt, actually wanting to get them on the schedule. And again, it's it's upsetting because to me, I think that's Pitt's biggest rivalry. I think that where that's the most animosity and where there's probably the most overlap in terms of fans and things like that. You've got a lot of people because it's the same state, because they're both very good academically. You've got a lot of people who live in a house where maybe one kid went to Pitt, the other went to Penn State, maybe a spouse went to Pitt, the other spouse went to Penn State, or if not, even if, just if you live in Pennsylvania, you likely have a neighbor. If you're a Pitt fan, you've got a neighbor who went to Penn State and things like that. So there's a lot of proximity there. And again, a lot of, lot of uh, you know, good, clean, uh, uh, good, clean, old-fashioned hate. And that's not going to show up. So... That's upsetting. Try to cherish it this year. Hope that the uh, the game is not a disaster, <laughs> but try to cherish it because this rivalry, unfortunately, looks like it'll be dormant for quite some time. In terms of on-the-field stuff, Penn State, without a doubt, favored. Uh, they've got a new quarterback. They went uh, from Christian Hackenberg to Trace McSorley, and it ended up being pretty seamless in terms of two pretty good college quarterbacks. Not great, but pretty good. Now they've got a new quarterback, Sean Clifford. Seems like another good quarterback. We'll see what he is, uh, you know, moving forward because, of course, he's a first-year player. But he does seem good. He can run with the ball, so that's a big part of it. They still have, uh, they've got K.J. Hamler, who is taking a big step up this year. I know he was on uh, on the squad last year. He made a little bit of noise. He's going to take a big step up. Uh, they, they've got a couple other players. Devin Ford is a, a freshman running back, and so they lost Miles Sanders, the, the Pittsburgh native, who's now with the Philadelphia Eagles. So they've got a good squad. They, they've got a good team. They're going to figure things out. John Reed on defense has two interceptions already. So Penn State certainly favored. I believe the, the opening line is 17 points. It's probably going to grow to even more than that. I I am not at all expecting Pitt to win this game. If they're even in this game, I think that's a success. Now, it's tough to take moral victories against Penn State, but for this one, if you're a fan, you might have to. Now, certainly you want Pitt to win, and if they do, then riot. You know, you you have got permission to just go crazy because that would be monumental if Pitt with this team and Penn State with that team, if the Panthers get the win. But if Pitt is even in this game and really in it throughout then that's a success. If they don't let the wheels fall off like what happened last year when Penn State when uh excuse me when Pitt just got crushed because that game there were a lot of mistakes in the first half then the wheels fell off and it just became a blowout. If Pitt does not make stupid mistakes, if they play a fundamentally sound game and they stay in it from start to finish, you're going to ha- you're going to like what you see. And Pitt might not get the win because Penn State does have a lot of talent. But Pitt just has to keep this a game. They cannot afford to get blown out like they did last year. They cannot afford to give up mistakes, as they've done for both of the games this year. They have shot themselves in the foot against Virginia and Ohio. They did it last year against Penn State. Uh, I know Chris Tadulu, the punter, had an awful game against Penn State last year. That just sticks in my memory. If the Panthers play a good game and they're in it, then you like what you see. And moving forward, you get that. And of course you want the win. But what you really, really don't want is to just get blown out. Because if nothing else, we all admit, it's very clear. Penn State, they're the bigger school. They've got some more money in the athletic department. They have a a bigger national uh, 
footprint, you could you should say. So they are the quote unquote big brother, and they're in a way expected to win, especially the way they've just been doing now. Is James Franklin, the way he's recruited, they've had better recruiting classes than Pitt for a few years now, quite a few years now. And they should be expected to win. They should be the better team. And so it's going to be tough if Pitt gets blown out to even be in the conversation. This is not Penn State Temple, which is another rivalry. And I know a lot of Temple fans, they love the Owls. I love the Owls. But that is a bigger gap between Penn State and Temple than it should be for Penn State and Pitt. In those games, Penn State, yeah, they're expected to blow a team out. Pitt might not be expected to win, but they've got to hang in this game. And if they keep this pretty much throughout to a one or even two score game, that's that's fine. It's not great, but it's fine. So that's what you've got to be looking for if you're a Pitt fan. You want the win, but more than anything, you cannot be embarrassed. You cannot be run off the field. You have to hang uh, with the Nittany Lions, and you have to prove that, okay, even if you're not going to beat them, that you're certainly worthy of playing them year after year. And so we'll see what happens. It's going to be a big game. It's on ABC at 12, and uh, it'll certainly be an interesting situation. Again, I don't think Pitt is going to get the win. If I were you, uh, I wouldn't end your betting. I would not put bet Pitt on the money line. I would not pick Pitt outright. But it's really going to come down to can Pitt hang with this team? Can they keep this a game? And can they avoid getting blown out like what happened last year? Because that was a night where everyone felt defeated, truly defeated. They weren't crushed because that's happened before to Pitt fans. It was just defeated. And you really can't afford to have that happen again because of all the talk, because of the chatter, just because of the fan base. You have to go out there and put together a good performance. So before we go, Panther of the Week, it's got to go to Jalen Twyman. He had three tackles for a loss. He's wearing Aaron Donald's number 97. And you see a couple shades of Aaron Donald in Jalen Twyman. And so it's pretty cool that he's wearing that number. He had a monster game. You hope to see that moving forward, that this is a guy who's going to keep things going and and really take a big step up this year because he had a, a huge game against Ohio. And if this defense can keep it up, we all knew the defensive backs were going to be good or were expected to be good. But certainly, uh, if the defensive line without Rashad Weaver is great, not just good, but is great. That makes Pitt exceptionally dangerous. And so Jalen Twyman gets Panther of the Week this week. And shout out, uh, go honorable mention for Panther of the Week to Chrissy Shannon. Should have mentioned her last week as uh, the first female drum major in Pitt band history. So that's awesome. So that'll do it for this episode. Uh, again, we have uh, made the switch. Uh, essentially, we're part of the SB Nation uh, family of podcasts. If you're already subscribed to the podcast, you you will have been transferred over. You should have been transferred over, and you shouldn't have to do anything. You should already be subscribed on Apple or Google Play. If you haven't, and if you want to listen to podcasts somewhere else, you can absolutely do that now. Anywhere you get your podcasts, we are there. Please subscribe and, uh, and download the episodes. You can listen to them whenever you want. And again, if you want to keep listening to the, listening to them on CardiacHill.com, if you look out for, for the tweets on the Twitter account, you can still do that. Not much is going to change, but we thank you so much. This is really an exciting time for the podcast. 
And we appreciate it. By all means, let me know what you think. You can tweet me at Corey E. Cohen, C-O-R-E-Y-E-C-O-H-E-N. You can comment on CardiacHill.com if you're listening to it there. Let me know what you think of the podcast. And if you've got any questions or any troubles with the new podcast setup, with subscribing, anything like that, please let me know. We'll figure it out. Again, thank you for listening. We'll see you next week. But until then, I'm Corey Cohen, signing off from Unscripted, the Cardiac Hill Podcast.